Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Duke Health, offering food, medication delivery, and transportation to communities hardest hit by COVID-19. It's all through a special partnership with North Carolina agencies and 16 community-based organizations. Learn more about Duke's COVID-19 response at dukehealth.org. And Hungry Harvest, delivering farm-fresh produce and kitchen staples to your door starting at $15. Every delivery fights food waste and supports local hunger-solving organizations. HungryHarvest.net. Hey, it's Lindsay Foster-Thomas, WUNC's Director of Content. What does that mean? Well, a lot of my job has to do with making sure North Carolina Public Radio is offering great on-demand content, like Tested, on a lot of platforms, like the one you're listening to me on right now. We're a radio station, sure, but we're also much more. And the exceptional journalism and audio production people know us for on the radio is available wherever you want, on the device you keep closest to you. Check out our entire collection under the podcast tab at wunc.org. One of the on-demand projects I'm most proud of is hosted by the voice you were expecting to hear in your earbuds today, Leonita Inge. It's called Polly, a special audio series we produced earlier this year about the inspirational life of social justice activist Polly Murray, who grew up in Durham, North Carolina. Today, I'd like to share one of the episodes with you. I think you'll love it as much as I do. Where do you call home? I'm not just talking about your mailing address or even a physical place at all. Home can be defined by so much more, a community or one special person. It's wherever or with whomever you feel the most comfortable, the most whole, the most complete. So where do you call home? It's a big question that might take a while for some of us to answer. Others of us might not have an answer because a home isn't guaranteed and can sometimes take us our whole lives to find. That was the case for Polly Murray. Throughout her life, Polly was a part of countless groups. She was on presidential commissions and involved with national coalitions and human rights organizations. But it's likely Polly felt home alongside a person she considered her closest friend, Irene Barlow. Polly doesn't talk much about their relationship in her memoirs, but many people have speculated the two women were actually life partners. A 2017 biography of Polly nods to their relationship as romantic, and one that lasted nearly two decades. Barlow died of a brain tumor in 1973. It was then, after that loss, when Polly took a turn and ventured into the community she would call home for the rest of her life, the clergy. Despite being in her early 60s, Polly decided to leave a tenured professorship to enter seminary. It seemed to me as I looked back over my life that I was being pointed in the direction of the priesthood or service uh, to the church. It seemed to me that it came out in my writings, it came out in my speeches, it came out in my rather steadfast devotion to the notion of reconciliation as well as liberation. And I asked myself, what do you want to do with the time you have left? 
and this seemed to be the answer. That's Pauli. During an interview in 1976, just a year after that, Pauli became the first black woman ordained as an Episcopal priest. She brought to the priesthood the same power she'd carried as a firebrand all her life. Pauli Murray wasn't about changing demographics. Pauli Murray was about changing the world. Pauli Murray was not about window dressing in the church. She was about the church being church. And that's the legacy that we have to carry forward. I'm Leonita Inge, and this is Pauly, a podcast from North Carolina Public Radio about the power of one person to reinvent herself and change what's possible for us all. Pauly Murray was a bad. <laughs> a bad black woman. You're so polite. Because when, when my mic was off, I was saying, she's a badass, right? Well, <laughs> when I wasn't, see, I, was like, yeah. I was like, you're not going to say that, but I guess I can say that. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm not going to lie. That was in my mind, but I had to, you know. <laughs> Kelly Brown Douglas is dean of the Episcopal Divinity School at Union Theological Seminary in New York City. I also serve as canon theologian at the Washington National Cathedral. Dean Douglas has been a part of the Episcopal Church for a while now. She was ordained in the early 1980s. And throughout her journey in the clergy, Pauli Murray has been with Dean Douglas along the way. What I knew of Pauli Murray as a young uh, priest or aspirant uh, for the priesthood was that, wow, you know, this black woman took on uh, the Episcopal Church in the sense that she was, wow, first black woman to be ordained a priest. And I, that could not have been easy. And so I always had this deep sense uh, that Pauli Murray really uh, paved the way. But like in every other chapter of Pauli's life, there were some hurdles in the road. When she entered seminary in 1973, the Episcopal Church was not ordaining women. But Polly still went, without a guarantee she would ever become a priest. What's interesting to me is that she went to seminary knowing that she may not be ordained because they were not, the Episcopal Church wasn't ordaining women, though she had fought for the ordination of women uh, prior to that. So she went to seminary to really to live into, to understand more her own faith journey uh, and what that required of her. My strong conviction that basically all of these problems of human rights in which I had been involved for most of my adult life, sex, race, all of the, the problems of human rights, that basically these were moral and spiritual problems. She moves toward accepting a call to the priesthood and going into seminary. But I think it's, it's much more than that. In those times, you find yourself really 
asking these other sort of questions about who you are. You know, I always say I'm a theologian. People don't do theology because there's nothing better to do. Uh, theology emerges out of these contradictions or crises in life when we are forced to ask, who is God and who are we in in, in relationship uh, to God, etc.? Who has God called us to be? That's what happened for her. I begin to realize that universally all of mankind is constantly falling down from these high ideals which we have set. That racism and sexism are actually sins, the sickness of sin. That human beings are not really in harmony in relationship to, to their creator. The Episcopal Church wasn't anything new for Polly Murray when she entered seminary. She grew up going to St. Titus Episcopal in Durham with the grandparents and aunts who raised her. From earliest childhood, I have always been a part of the church. There have been times when I have left it, but I have always more or less been in some way involved with the church. Polly preserved this connection between faith and family throughout her spiritual journey. Shortly after she was ordained, Reverend Polly Murray offered her first Eucharist at the Chapel of the Cross in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Choosing that church was intentional. It's the same one where Polly's grandmother, Cornelia, was baptized more than a century earlier while still enslaved. Through this tribute to her family lineage, to her roots, Polly was tapping into a calling Dean Douglas says had been there since the beginning of her life. You know, I, I, I like to say if you're a priest, you're called from the womb. Polly Murray was called for the womb. Uh, you may or may not recognize it, but but she did. And, and, and if you sort of look at her life's journey, Polly Murray was being a priest <laughs> throughout uh, her life's journey in so many ways. And so to read back in, you can see, yep. Uh, this was the inevitable sort of last, if you will, uh, part of this journey. How does Polly's priesthood mirror the social justice work that she did for decades? You know, in a way, um, she continued that work, even going into the priesthood. Maybe she almost saw it as parallel work. And um, I don't know, the priesthood may have been the cherry on the top. Yeah. First of all, you know, this allows us to know that it's one thing to be a religious institution and another thing to be church. And so she found herself even obviously prior to going to seminary, uh, trying to push the institution that was the Episcopal Church toward uh, being more inclusive, so pushing it to ordain women, uh, pushing it to ordain uh, LGBTQ persons, etc. Pushing it, I like to say, to be church. The church which one would expect to be on the side, A, of the oppressed, on the side of human dignity, on the side of human equality. Sexism calls in God as its uh, Authority, And incidentally, this is the whole thing that is, this is the, the basic theological argument in uh, barring women from the priesthood. That the male, that God represents the male principle that Jesus Christ 
himself was a male and that he selected male apostles and therefore that it is impossible for a woman to represent Christ. I also like to think that as she moved toward seminary and the priesthood, that there was no separation between sort of the secular and the sacred uh, side of her. This was about one peace. And, and, and it so reflects in so many ways the Black faith tradition that in the Black faith tradition, the, the church is indeed, as W.E.B. Du Bois once said, the religious center and the social center. These two things go together. And so they came together in Pauli Murray so that wasn't sort of this, this, this divide for her and the Cherry on top is, uh, you would say, was that she uh, would get to be ordained, uh, but that was no different than the way in which she fought for inclusivity in this daggone country. Pauli retired from the priesthood in the early 1980s. She passed away just a few years later in 1985 from pancreatic cancer. But her spirit in the Episcopal Church continues to shape it as more and more clergy follow in her footsteps. You know, I think in a in a real visible sense that her legacy is the fact that uh, we now have six black female diocesan bishops. That wouldn't have happened without a Polly Murray. It just wouldn't have. And each of those women recognize the significance of Pauli Murray. We've talked a lot on this podcast about deserved recognition for Pauli Murray and what kind of tributes to her legacy are appropriate. If you haven't heard our earlier episodes, check those out right after you finish listening to this one. In 2012, Pauli was finally honored in a manner no one could argue befit her greatness. The Episcopal Church elevated her to sainthood. Saint Pauli. Now that has a nice sound to it. Pauli Murray was a what we would call a progressive Christian before we even knew what progressive Christians were. Um, and some of that, I'm sure, came from her clear awareness about kind of who she was and her own value. I mean, honestly, I wouldn't be here without her. And if she hadn't brought that theological lens to the church and really, really advocated for it. My name is Kim Jackson. I am an Episcopal priest. So Yes, technically, I'm the Reverend Kim Jackson, and I'm also the senator-elect for Georgia State District 41. You might also say Jackson is something of a modern-day Polly Murray. Polly was truly one of a kind, but there are definitely people who are standing tall on Polly's shoulders. Reverend Kim Jackson is one of them. So, you know, there were a couple of things that I knew really clearly about myself as a young adult. One, I was called to ministry. Two, I was called to do the kind of ministry that brings about public change, that changes the world. Um, so meeting Polly Murray in paper, right, in books, um, she she's my girl, right? Like, she did exactly what um, I feel very much called to do in my own life. And just like Polly, Reverend Jackson isn't only using the pulpit to push for change. She's also using the political stage as a state senator in Georgia. 
Polly herself never held political office, but the two women are kindred spirits, protesting inequality and poking holes in patriarchal institutions. I spoke with Reverend Jackson just days before she was about to be sworn into office. I'm this African-American woman who was raised in the South in a Baptist tradition. And as a young adult, I came out as a lesbian. Um, I also came out as saying I am a woman who feels called to ministry in a church tradition that did not ordain women. And so I went searching for people who looked like me, for women who were black, who were also serving um, or who had served historically as pastors and as priests in the church. And so of course, Polly Murray was one of the first ones that came across my radar. I also joined the Episcopal Church and so um, was particularly inspired to find you know, that Polly Murray was the first African-American woman Episcopal priest um, who also had this real passion for issues of social justice. You had a mentor, though, and didn't even know it. You know, that's because she did the impossible when she um, decided to be a priest. You know, there were no other Black female priests, definitely not in the Episcopal Church. That's right. You know, I I have um, spent a lot of time talking about what it means to be the first. I, I am the first LGBTQ person um, who will be sworn in um, in the state Senate here in Georgia. And so I've spent a lot of time talking about first. And I've also found a lot of inspiration and comfort in knowing that Polly Murray was a first in many things. Uh, she set the path for me and um, continues to inspire me even from the grave. Uh, I'll, I'll just say on Monday when I'm sworn in, I will be wearing a Polly Murray stole. I stole that she has passed down to other female Black priests um, in the church. I will wear one of those in honor of her. Well, I hope you have a professional photographer somewhere nearby, not like um, a grandmama, mama, cousin with their phone shaking. No, we need a good picture, Rev. Jackson. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Please. So when you think of Polly Murray, what are some of her other actions do you think that you've adopted? You know, it's not just about theology, but actual, you know, the behaviors and practices um, too. So um, how do you see yourself living into Polly's legacy with your actions as a reverend and I think as a policymaker? So one of the things that Polly Murray was very clear about was that women had a role in the society that was significantly greater than the role that she was born into, right? Um, and I think coming from the rural South as I did, I grew up um, and was told that there are certain things that girls do and certain things that girls don't do. And, uh, you know, one of those very specifically was being a pastor. Girls don't become preachers. That was very clearly expressed to me. Um, and so, you know, defying that, and, and that's what Polly Murray did, I think over and over again, Polly Murray defied uh, the norms, the defied these really um, absolutely patriarchal rules. Uh, and I've, I've tried to live into that as well. And every time I've kind of hit a barrier that said, you know, because you're a woman or because you're queer, you can't do these things. Um, I've said, yes, yes, I can. Uh, I, I feel clear that uh, perhaps as, as a part of my faith, I think some of it is just the, the sense of resistance that was birthed in me that has been passed down from, a, from our ancestors who resisted in all these different ways. Um, I've said, yes, those barriers are not real. We can overcome those to really flourish and thrive in the society. 
So have you found yourself out marching a lot lately? Have you gone um, taking your actions to the streets as sort of this social change agent? Absolutely. I've spent a lot of time um, marching in the streets. And in fact, I like to tell the story. I've spent more time on the steps of the Georgia Capitol leading rallies and protests than I have actually inside of the Capitol. Um, so I'm, I'm actually looking forward to bringing some balance to that. But um, my real formation as a priest um, has been one uh, who serves as a protest chaplain or a part of a movement chaplaincy work. And so um, really the last 10 years of my priesthood for the entire time that I've been in this vocation, it has been one in which uh, it's coupled with the pulpit and the street. You know, one thing I just thought about when you spoke about, you know, being on the streets outside the Capitol, you know, when Polly decided to go to seminary, you know, she was an old lady. They, they like to say they almost didn't let her in because she was an old lady. But if you've been um, a priest for a decade already, it seems that you knew early on what you wanted to do. And maybe, you know, in your early 20s, you, um, you moved into this direction. What made you do that? Yeah, so I, I knew that I was called to ministry when I was only eight years old. And that's when I found out, that's when I hit that brick wall and was told that girls can't become pastors. Um, so this has been a long journey. And, and similarly, I knew at 13 that I wanted to make a positive difference in the world and that elected office was one of the ways that you could do it. Um, because I was a part of a group of 13-year-olds who were taken to the city hall and I listened to them make these decisions. And I, I had that light bulb moment that every teacher hopes for in a child um, that said, oh, this is how change just made and I want to do that. Uh, so this has been a long journey for me in many ways, despite my age. Um, and, you know, I was, I was ordained at age 26. I was one of the very youngest priests um, ordained, the first, the first black queer priest ever ordained in my diocese, um, and really was able to confront those barriers because I've known with a deep, deep conviction that this is what God has called me to do. And, and this is the way that I'm called to live it out. I hope that I will continue to do what I have tried to do most of my life. And that is when there was a principle I felt that I ought to act on, I did not stand in fear of consequences. If St. Pauli were with us today, I like to imagine she'd be out there in the streets, marching alongside Reverend Kim Jackson, and then come Sunday, keeping the church accountable from the pulpit with Dean Douglas. If Pauli Murray was still alive and a voice in our church, right? Pauli Murray would, we wouldn't have to ask, where's the, where's the Episcopal Church? Where Pauli Murray's voice would be out there on the public square, she would have led the way to, uh, no, she would have already been at that church uh, greeting Trump at, in front of that Episcopal church and saying, ain't no way you're going to stand here holding that Bible. So Pauli Murray as a priest, oh my goodness, she, she Pauli Murray would be so restless. And that's the kind of spiritual and social justice leader we need and deserve, one who is restless, 
can't sleep for wanting to make the world better for her people and for everybody else. Hope is a song in a weary throat. Pauli Murray wrote those words in 1970. In her final years, after decades of fighting, writing, praying, and preaching for what's right, she had every right to be weary. And yet, she sang anyway. We're going to keep unpacking Polly's inspiring life, from her experience during the Harlem Renaissance to her long friendship with First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt to her influence on democracy abroad. Polly is a production of North Carolina Public Radio. Special thanks to the Southern Oral History Program. Our producers are Charlie Shelton Ormond and Stacia Brown. Lindsay Foster Thomas is our executive producer. Jenny Lawson is our engineer. I'm Leonida Inge. My eternal gratitude to my colleague Leonita Inge for reporting the story of Polly Murray so thoroughly and passionately and introducing us to people who are carrying forward the mission and legacy of Polly's life. There are other episodes of Polly available now at wunc.org slash Polly. That's P-A-U-L-I. The series is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to today's show.